0: The Sunday Sermons Podcast. I hope this quote is very familiar to most of you, at least. Uh, Richard Foster says this, Disciplines are not the answer. They only lead us to the answer, capital A, Jesus Christ. By themselves, they can do nothing. They can only get us to the place where something can be done. The last several weeks, and for a couple more weeks to come, we're walking through the spiritual disciplines one more time, trying to remember these ancient practices, these things we see in the scriptures that Jesus taught and actually did himself, not as a way to feel better about ourselves or to evaluate ourselves against each other or to see if we're a better or worse Christian than anybody else. It's got nothing to do with that, it's not a checklist. It's not a naughty list and a nice list. These are just the power tools that God has given us that actually get the work done. These are the things that actually reshape us into the shape of Jesus. And so we're learning again, remembering again, doing whatever it takes again so that we make sure that we're actually taking time to drain out all the stuff of earth and to marinate and to saturate ourselves in the stuff of heaven, the stuff that looks and smells like Jesus. This morning, the two spiritual disciplines we're going to be exploring are simplicity and stewardship. Let's start with simplicity. And this confuses a few people because when you read in the Old Testament, there's another kind of simplicity that's actually bad. And it's actually the exact opposite of the the good simplicity. So let's clear that up right away and then we'll focus on the good side. In Proverbs 8, 5, here's an example. It says, you who are simple gain prudence. You who are foolish set your hearts on it. And prudence is a way of looking at life or any situation shrewdly or, or with strategy. It's, it's using your brain. It's not being simple in the sense of being apathetic or just winging it. That's not the simplicity we're talking about. Here's another one from Proverbs as well about that kind of simplicity. He says, leave your simple ways and you will live. Walk in the way of insight. And that word we translate insight, it means to really understand life, to understand what's real, what's true, to really be truly aware of what's actually going on even when it seems like other things are there. So again, where simple in that case means you just don't think, you're shallow. You just kind of, yeah, whatever, I don't care. You don't ask very many questions. You don't handle your doubts or your fears. You just kind of move on and kind of coast. That's not what we're talking about today. The simplicity that's a spiritual discipline, that's life transforming, that makes us like Jesus is a kind of simplicity that you have one thing that you're focusing on. It's kind of like what James is talking about in James chapter 5, where he's actually quoting Jesus Christ himself. And he says, above all, brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you'll be condemned. What he's telling us there is not so much that you're not allowed to say the words, I swear to God or something like that. He's saying, you should live in such a way that people know when you say yes, it means yes. And when you say no, it means no. And, and, and nobody has to say, no, seriously, dude, I really need you to come through for me on this one. And you go, no, I will, I promise. No, really. This time I really need you to do it. I swear to God, I'll get it done. We shouldn't need to do that. Yes should mean yes. Yes. No should be no. It's that kind of simplicity. Does that make sense? It's just, it's just focus. It's just, it means it is what it is. In Luke 10, we see three different illustrations of how this kind of simplicity works. The first, you see Jesus sending out the 72. These are in addition to the 12 that he sent out most of the time. This was a special mission trip. And it was the only time that he told everybody they weren't allowed to take a purse or money bag of any kind no bag of stuff, and no sandals. They couldn't even wear shoes, at least at the beginning of the trip. Now, it's not something he required every single time, but he did this time because he wanted them to learn to be 100% focused on just what he told them to do and to trust God for literally everything else. They weren't gonna eat or even have shoes on this journey unless somebody gave it to them along the way. That's simplicity. You talk about being, having to just trust God and focus. That's what it looks like. Same chapter, somebody asked him, who is my neighbor? They're asking for clarity on this one. We love to do that, don't we? I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself. But what if, what if they're faking it? What if they're trying to scam me? What if I give them money and all they do is just spend it on drugs or something, right? We, we love to ask those kind of... We like to make it complicated. Jesus likes to keep it simple. So he told that story about the Good Samaritan. And there's layers and layers of beautiful depth in that story. But the bottom line is so simple. Your neighbor is whoever you're next to that needs help. Period. At any time of day, out on the road or wherever you're at. If you see somebody who needs help, guess what? That's your neighbor. And you treat them the way that you would like someone to treat you. You treat them the way you would treat Jesus, if that was Jesus. Not easy, but simple. Is this making sense? This is the idea of simplicity, is we just stop arguing about it. We stop justifying it or or digging needlessly deep. We just do it. And we get to experience what Jesus was talking about. Still in Luke 10, another famous story. I'm sure you've heard at some point, but Martha and Mary have Jesus over to their house. And how many, how many oldest children are, do I have in the crypt here today? You can give us a thumbs up emoji if you're joining online. Awesome. So the Bible doesn't tell us, but all us oldest children, we know that Martha was the oldest one in the family, right? Read the birth order book and you'll know what I'm talking about. And we also know where the babies in the family. Anybody youngest, youngest people. There you go. We all know that Mary was the youngest. Because what happens is Jesus is over to their house, and Martha is all about the responsibility. Got to get this stuff done. Got to get it done. Got to get it done right. Oh my goodness, it's Jesus at my house. And Mary's just like, Jesus is at my house. Hi, Jesus. So Martha comes out and she's so mad. And she's like, are you going to tell her to help me? Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things. A few things are needed. Indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken from her. Now we could make this complicated. There's so many other places. We're gonna look, when we talk about stewardship in a couple minutes, we'll look at some of them today. There's so many places where God clearly wants us to be responsible and to work hard and use the gifts and the resources we have to serve others. He's not saying that was bad. He's saying, I'm actually at your house right now. Chill. I, I already am at your house. You don't have to impress me. I'm already here. Let's spend some time together. It's simple. The first thing that we need to do to practice simplicity is simply this, to break free from all distractions. If you're a note taker, there's always a note place to write notes. In uh, the first blank there would be free. Let's all say that out loud together if you don't mind. Break free from all distractions. I'll read what's on here and you can fill in these marks. It's a reference to John 10. Ten says, Jesus sets us free from what steals and kills and destroys. This includes all the good things that keeps us from the best things. Let me read that one more time. Maybe I'll get it right this time. Jesus sets us free from what steals, kills, or destroys. This includes all the good things that keep us from the best things. I think this is so true about us here in America these days. Even those of us who work for a church or something that's overtly good in and of itself, it's something you're doing that helps people. Many of you have jobs that do that one way or another, whether you're feeding people or you're, you're providing a service that literally every single person needs, electricity or something. in one way or another, there's so many ways that the thing you do for a living is actually a really good thing. But the problem is sometimes we forget what's best. We get so busy doing the good stuff that we never get around to the best stuff. And, and, and honestly, sometimes we do stuff that really kills, that steals stuff from us that God wants us to experience, that destroys something in us that God created for good. We've got to learn to get rid of that. That's why all the, we've been talking the last several weeks of ways to drain all that other stuff out, at least periodically, and to refill intentionally from what God is giving us, what he designed us to do. In Mark chapter 10, someone comes to Jesus and they ask him, good teacher, what must I do to be saved? We could go really deep in this one too. Just Jesus's reply, why do you call me good, is kind of interesting, and we could go down that rabbit hole another day. But actually, he's saying something very simple here, so let's just go Where Jesus went. Jesus says, Oh, keep all the commandments. Teacher, he declared, All these I have kept since I was a boy. And Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said Go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And then come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell and he went away sad because he had great wealth. Now, almost every preacher I've ever heard at this point reading this passage stops and gives the American disclaimer. You ready? Money isn't evil. It's not wrong to live in a nice house or have nice cars and nice clothes. That's not a sin. It's just your attitude. How many have heard this before? It's not a lie, but instead of me going there this morning, let's, go, let's just stay in the story. Let's marinate in the story just a little bit. Let's see what Jesus said about it. Let's see what his disciples heard about it when he said back to them. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed. And they said to each other, Who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, With man it's impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. In other words, in the original context, however we can justify it, however we can say, oh, but this this person in the Bible is rich and they used it for good and all that. We'll talk more about it again in a moment with stewardship. We're, We're gonna get to, but notice the original story here. Jesus is saying it's hard for anybody to get saved. And it's especially hard for people with a lot to lose. You know who the most dangerous people on the world are at any given moment? People with nothing to lose. If you've got nothing to lose, you'll do anything, right? But if you feel like you've got a lot to lose, even the most simple right and wrong questions start to get complicated, right? And Jesus is saying, man, people with a lot of stuff, a lot of money, a lot of influence, a lot of respect, it's harder than ever for them to enter the kingdom of God. How tragic that is. It's pretty simple. Richard Foster says, if worship does not propel us into greater obedience, it has not been worship. To stand before the Holy One of eternity is to change. We become more like Jesus. And this idea of shallow thinking, the simplicity that's shallowness, that again, that's not what we're after. A lot of times we think about right and wrong and we just really want, we just really, really want a naughty list and a nice list, don't we? Please just make it simple. I'll do these things, at least most of them, and I'll avoid these things, at least most of them, and we'll all call it good. And then I can do, the on my own time, I can do the rest of whatever I want. That's so shallow because it's like there's all these keys on a keyboard. And none of them are right or wrong morally. It's not a mistake. It's not a sin to hit a note that's, it's not a sin. It just doesn't fit the song that you're playing sometimes. Does that make sense? And what Jesus is saying is sing my song. Sing the song that I designed you to sing. I created you to sing. It goes like this. And we go, well, what's wrong with my song? Or what's wrong with the song over there? What's wrong with this other song? It sounds pretty cool. Jesus is saying, I I don't. It's not that it's so wrong. It's that this one is so right. It's simple. Just sing this song with me. We gotta focus on what's most important. Let's say that out loud together, and if you're still taking notes, go for it. Focused on what's most important. When we refuse to settle for shallow thinking, when we refuse to settle for the status quo, whatever everybody else approves, at least we have a chance. At least we have a chance. This is also the purpose of all the great traditions that we have in Christianity, like Advent. And those of you who grew up in a, in a church that was huge on Advent, you probably don't even recognize what's in front of me here, but this is our Advent candles, okay? We've lit the first one today. Those of you who grew up in a church where Advent wasn't a big deal, you're going, what's Advent? Advent. And that's okay, too. We love all of y'all. But this has become more and more meaningful to me personally, and it's very meaningful to a bunch of people in our congregation. And if you don't know what Advent is, I really encourage you to pursue that. It started yesterday, this year, and this first candle is very significant. It goes all the way up until right on the day we celebrate Jesus' birthday, we light the Christ candle. We'll be adding these progressively. The reason it's meaningful is just because it helps us focus on what's important. Advent itself is not in the scripture. That's why we don't do it as religiously as we do like communion. But it's beautiful and it's cool. And my encouragement to you guys is not so much that you have to practice Advent, but do whatever it takes to help you focus on what's most important. And in a season like this one that we're in, in a place like America, it's really hard, isn't it? To focus on what's important. Find something that works for you. For me, Advent works really, really well. We see Jesus healing people in a lot of different ways throughout the scripture. One of my favorite ones, you see more than the others, it seems like at least. There's a lot of stories where he heals blind people. And I, I, maybe I just like wordplay too much, but it feels like all of the gospel writers really wanted us to, to, to notice that when Jesus healed blind people, they could see who he is. They really saw the truth. Are you with me? Maybe not. Maybe I just like to read into stuff too much. But I do know in John chapter nine, when the religious leaders confronted this one blind guy that Jesus had healed, and they're trying to get him to say that Jesus is evil or at least convince him that Jesus is evil because he healed him on the Sabbath. It says he replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. And that's the kind of simplicity the kind of real focus that we all need to have. Here's a couple more places. We're just gonna kind of do a little scripture montage of where we see this kind of simplicity throughout scripture and how we need to own this and how it enriches our life in every direction. Paul writes, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I think that's one of the reasons that we all like, well, maybe not all of us, most of us like sports movies, even if we don't like sports themselves. Uh, you, You see Rocky trying to fight for his life or fight to just stay 15 rounds or whatever other sports movie you might pick and you're in it because you get what it means to him. You, it's not about whether you like boxing anymore. It, you're in the story with a real life person. Does that make sense? And, and, and you see what it's like. You experience what it's like to focus and just, just. Do, I, I don't care what it takes. I'm going to do that. I'm going to make it. Cut it, Mick, cut it. You know what I'm saying? You know exactly what it's about. Paul writes Philippians 4, one chapter after the one I just read. Finally, brothers and sisters... Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. When even... Other Christians or other people who believe a lot like we do or have values that sound similar to ours are saying stuff and it's all gloom and doom and all this. It's easy to get sucked into that. But I really believe the cure is not that we just get really articulate at explaining why sin is sin, but that we get really, really good at knowing why righteousness is righteousness. And really, really good at living it. And really, really good at sharing it in love. And when we focus on what's most important, we have a chance of actually influencing the rest of the world, no matter how dark and how how broken it gets. Rich Mullins wrote in his songs, if I stand, if I stand, let me stand on the promise that you will pull me through. If I can't, let me fall on the grace that first brought me to you. If I sing, let it be for the joy that's born in me these songs. And if I weep, let it be as a man who's longing for his home. This idea that the world is not our home is so central to so much of what we believe. And it's such an important thing that we look forward to heaven, that we set our sights on the ultimate time at the end of it all. But I feel so, it's so important that we keep coming back to remember that almost everything Jesus taught us was about right here and right now. And in the Lord's prayer, he didn't tell us and help us to always keep thinking about heaven. He says, may your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And he tells us to build our lives on good foundations now in this life That's how we lay up treasure in heaven. It's all tied together. And the hope of heaven on the other side is so beautiful. But sometimes all we do as Christians is just kind of coast until the end. And that's that's not what Jesus wants from us. Sometimes we really read that in other passages. Like David in Psalm 27, he says, One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. We're like, oh, yeah. We just just need to just stay in church. Someday in heaven, we're just gonna just be in church all the time. That sounds like a nightmare to a few people, by the way. So I, I, but I'm just saying, I'm just saying, There wasn't a temple when David wrote that. There was a tabernacle. He's not talking about going to church. He's talking about being in the presence of God. It's the same word that we looked at last week when it says that God dwells in the presence of his people. God is, his spot is especially where we are praising him. And David is saying, you know what? That's my spot too. And that's all I want out of life. And that's all I want out of eternity. David's is the same one that wrote Psalm 23. That's all about God leading us through life, this life here and now, like a shepherd, preparing for us and protecting us. And even in the presence of our enemies, fellowshipping with us. And at the end he says, and surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He's not talking about the temple. He's talking about the presence of the Lord that's even better when we get to the final destination. We love to make it complicated, but it's simple. And when we keep coming back to the simple truth, it makes all the difference. Paul wrote this to Titus. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself up for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own. Listen what how he describes these people. His very own. Eager to do what is good. These then are the things you should teach. James writes, But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Jesus himself said, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You can use money to serve God, but you can't serve both. Rich Mullins called it the stuff of earth. I think it's just a great phrase. He says the stuff of earth competes For the allegiance I owe only to the giver of all good things. And that's why here's where we're starting to wrap up. We're on the home stretch now. One more big thing to fill in, a couple more little blanks. Let's say this together. Invest wisely. Don't ask me about money investments because I'm not very good at that. I'm talking about money and I'm talking about everything else that you have. We lay up treasure on earth by building God's kingdom on earth, and we must invest three things. I didn't make this alliteration up, but I found it a bunch of places, and I like it, and I'm going to use it, okay? We all have time, talents, and treasure. Those are the three things that God gives to every single one of us. Time, talents, and treasure. And we need to figure out how we're going to invest all three of those. In light of building God's kingdom on earth, which then lays up treasure in heaven. When you look at what Jesus taught, again, almost everything he taught was how we live here and now. And he was pretty clear about it. And a big part of what he talked about all the time was a sense of responsibility. He talked about talents. That's where we get that English word. That was a money measurement back then. He talked about somebody putting somebody in charge of a certain amount of money, expecting them to make more with it holding them accountable when they did or did not. He had all these parables about things that grow and produce fruit and metaphors where if it doesn't produce fruit, it gets cut off. If it does, it gets pruned so it produces even more. Does this sound familiar? This idea of responsibility is very simply right at the center of what God teaches us about everything. Everything. If what matters most is the giver of all good things, then we should invest wisely in the things that he cares about. If you're talking about how to invest your time, here's a couple of ideas we just looked at recently. Silence, solitude, Bible study, prayer. Nobody just has time to do that. We make time. We don't just spend time on that, we invest time in that. We know that's going to pay off. I'm so proud of every single one of you who made it here this morning. You chose to do that. You didn't have to, but you made it here. You're investing your time to be in the presence of God and other people. Wherever you're joining, God bless you. We're so thankful that you have that opportunity too. I'm proud of you as well, but you made this time. You figured it out. Somehow you did what it took to get somewhere where you would be fed and where you could bless God and bless the people around you. That's what it looks like. But it's also investing our time in other things. And some of you have more time than others. Some of the needs in Roan County that I've learned about recently that they are just desperate for volunteers about. It's the Roan County Anti-Drug Coalition. Just right downtown, they need help. Um, From the Heart Ministries, it's a new... uh, Food pantry that's working. Um, they need a lot of help. There's a ministry called Warm Hands that it's a church that opens their doors when it gets really cold for homeless people, but they need volunteers to just be on hand when it gets really, really cold. They need more. It's a very small church with a big building. They just need people that would be willing to be on call and show up and open the doors and kind of keep an eye on and be friendly to the homeless people. There's so many opportunities. If you've got time, you need to figure out a way you can invest that wisely. You've got talent. Every one of you has talent. Every one of you has some sort of ability or skill or combination of those two. There's so many ways you can do that, but we're all called to serve. Some of you, I'm telling you, the Bible tells us that some people actually have a gift of giving. There's a reason you're good at money. One of the things I always looked up to the most about Rich Mullins was when he really started making a lot of money, he still lived very simply until he talked to one of his uncles. And his uncle said, you living simply doesn't help the poor at all. What helps the poor is if you made a lot of money and gave it to them. So he said, well, I'm gonna keep living simply, but I'm gonna create this board that will handle all my money, pay me a very minimal wage, But all the rest of my money, I don't even want to know how much I make. Make sure it goes to Native Americans. And he listed several other things. Good luck with all my money. Isn't that beautiful? And he made millions and millions of dollars because he was really successful in the music business there for a while. And it is a music business. But he invested it. He invested it wisely. And if you're, you've got some specific skills, uh, you, you could use, there's so many great things that we need help in. The lift zone needs people not just to show up, that's a time thing, but to actually teach some classes and to get some stuff going down there. Uh, we always need people to help us disciple each other here at church. There's a, a thing I just heard about called Casa, where you walk kids through that are somehow embroiled in a court case. You walk them through the whole thing. They just need, you don't even have to have law experience. You just need love and time. But it helps if you have some sort of talent with kids. Again, there's so many ways to do that, but you need to figure out the time you have. You need to figure out the talents you have and how you're gonna invest that. And then of course, treasure, the stuff you have, the money you have. Of course, we need to be um, faithful with that as well. Romans 12 lists a whole bunch of gifts and says, if you've got this one, do it. If you've got this one, here's right in the middle. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. By the way, that idea of cheerful giving, that primarily comes from 2 Corinthians 9, 7. We talked about that passage last week where the people had taken up a huge offering to give to a whole other church that was in trouble. It wasn't their tithe, it wasn't their weekly giving. It was a special thing. And Paul says, hey, give as much as you feel led to give. God loves a cheerful giver. And if you don't know what the tithe is, tithe is where we give 10% as a minimum to God. It's throughout the scripture. We're not under law anymore. You're not gonna earn your way into heaven by giving God 10% or more. But it's a, it's a very biblical practice. It's something that we see. It's even more much more biblical than Advent. It helps us focus on what's most important. If you've never tried tithing, I encourage you to do that. That's where all those promises that are very specific about tithing apply. They don't only apply when we do those things. Let me tell you real quick, as we wrap up this morning, I want to tell you again Nothing you're ever going to hear from me up here is me yelling at you or screaming at you or saying you guys are losers and you don't know any of this and you don't do anything of this. I'm not condemning anybody. I'm just helping us, I hope, to keep focusing on the bullseye that Jesus gives us every single time. The truth is I've seen so much of all of this in this church. Even recently, even the last year, the last month, I've seen so much. Last week, the big Thanksgiving bag project, so many people helped in that in so many different ways. The big fellowship meal we had, setting up, tearing down, the worship, everybody worshiping wherever you were in the room. There was just, it was beauty. It was great. Talents and treasure and ability to cook and willingness to share and making time to be together. All of that is just beautiful. Teaming up with other churches to share the, all of that with other people. A lot of you don't know this, but someone I still don't know who it is, but someone anonymously gave a large amount of money to the church a little while ago. And we're, with the stipulation, it has to be spent outside of our walls. It has to be to fund outreach that we wouldn't do just because we don't have the money we've been able to do stuff that we would never ever dream of before just because of that. We have a special committee now just there. That, that blows my mind that people are catching this vision. We've got to reach out more than ever. I, I could go on and on with how, how much I see us doing this stuff, people volunteering their time, using their talents, investing their treasure. But imagine if this defined us. Imagine if all of this stuff was this very simply, very just clearly how we lived. Do you know that we pay almost $10,000 every month just on a mortgage payment here at the church? What if we all teamed up and just paid the sucker off? Then we'd have almost $10,000 a month to start giving to the community that we don't even have to raise. We're finding it somehow already. Somebody want to help me with that project? Come and talk to me afterwards. But this is kind of a thing that can happen when we do what we've talked about today. We break free from all the distractions. We focus on what's most important and we invest wisely. That's simplicity, that stewardship, and that's how it works.